Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel preaches from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 with a message entitled, The Battlefield of the Heart. If you have a Bible, uh, if you could turn to 2 Samuel in chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. Uh, we call it a pew Bible, and it's on page 244, uh, 2 Samuel 11. I'd like to begin this morning by reading a section of our, our scripture. So if you would stand with me as I read 2 Samuel 11, it's on page 244. It says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, and David remained, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to the house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. While all of Israel was out fighting a battle, a war, the king, David, was on his couch, uh, losing the battle actually for his own heart and soul. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this uh, ancient text that says so much about our lives today and about this battle that's raging, Lord, would you open our eyes so that we could see what you'd have for us this morning? You'd open our ears and we would hear directly from you, Lord, that you would soften all of our hearts, that we would uh, be willing to accept your grace and forgiveness and respond in, in kind to live our whole heart after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, before we get started, I actually want to set up this message by a story of a time when we were in Slovenia. We were missionaries in Slovenia for seven years. Slovenia is a very unchristian country. There was only, when we went over there, there was about 1,000 Christians, evangelical Christians in the whole country. Not very many churches, not very many believers, which meant that often a town or a village or an area that we would go into wouldn't have one single church, uh, maybe not even have one single Christian that we knew of. Um, one of those places that we uh, would go to was a place called Kranskogora, which you can see in the picture. It's right at the base of the Alps, absolutely beautiful place. But there was not one single evangelical church there, and we didn't know of any believers in that area. And so though, even though it was absolutely stunning and beautiful, there was a spiritual darkness and ugliness uh, when we were there. We even, we just felt it. And we would do evangelist to English camps where we would, we would uh, rent out these hotels or hostels, they call them, uh, where we would spend a whole week teaching kids 
English, um, doing sports with them, teaching them American baseball in the afternoon, just developing relationships with them. And then at night, we would do something like uh, a youth group Bible study, presenting different aspects of what it means to be a Christian or follow Jesus. On the, one of the last nights of camp, we would give people uh, their own Bibles if they wanted them, which none of the kids had Bibles. So we would give them these, these Bibles. Well, after that night that we gave someone a Bible at this, at this camp in Kranskogora, there's this girl that woke up the next morning and was at, uh, at breakfast and was sharing these stories. She said, I have never experienced anything like this in my life. She said, I had the scariest, worst, real dreams that I've ever had. And she said, I think it's because I was reading the Bible. Well, there was a bunch of like, uh, American uh, high schoolers there that came up and were like, oh, no, 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 it wasn't because of the Bible. The Bible's a really good thing. Uh, no, it couldn't have been from reading the Bible. When my wife Amy went over to her and said, uh, it's, most likely it's because you were reading the Bible, because you need to know there is a battle raging for your heart and your soul. There's, there's a battle raging for you. Um, well, let me turn it back to our text today, because just like Amy told that young girl, there's a battle raging for your heart and your soul. I'm here today to tell you there's a battle raging for your heart and your soul this morning, too. And you might be thinking, I don't really feel it. I mean, I feel safe. I feel healthy. It seems like, I mean, sure, there's a bad things, but I'm not as bad as that other guy. Really, there's a a war going on. I I don't even feel it. And and if I am in a battle, how do I know if I'm winning or losing? What we're going to find out today as we turn to our text again and see the story of David, who who actually is losing the battle for his heart in chapter 11. And then we're going to look at just a little bit of chapter 12, too, and see some signs of him winning the battle for his heart. What we began reading uh, this morning, the beginning of chapter 11, all the men are at war. I mean, everyone's gone. All of Israel's out fighting this battle except for King David, who's lounging on his couch. And then he gets up and stretches and looking for something to do, goes out on his little balcony, looks down on this woman who is bathing, uh, ends up uh, seeing that she's beautiful, and then takes her and sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. It's like, now what? What, What's he going to do now? We pick up our story in verse 6. If you have your Bibles and want to read along, or it'll be up on the screen. Uh, Verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Now when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Now that's a G version for something else. Wash your feet is like this phrase that they use in the Bible that could mean something else. With your wife. Go down, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the, out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. Here, this is a blessing. I'm just going to give you all this stuff, make it nice and easy for you. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord, and did not go down to his house. You see, Uriah, he was in battle mode. This is game time. I can't go down to my wife. We have a war. We have a battle going on. I need to be right here and ready. Uh, let's follow, skip down a little bit to verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. 
In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant, valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Mission accomplished. He had gotten himself into this uh, pickle of a jam and his own sin, and he tried to bring him back. Maybe he could sleep with his wife, and then we could say, oh, that's what it's from, but that didn't work. Uh, so then he's like, okay, then let's just try and kill this guy without killing him, uh, but set up all the situations. He'd taken the care of the problem, uh, but what we see is that David actually is losing the battle for his heart through all of this. I want to point out three things, three signs that you're losing the battle for your heart based off of this story. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, you live as if there isn't a battle going on. You live as if there's not a battle raging for your heart. You see, David, he's at home. Everyone else is out fighting, and David is like, he's pretending there's not a battle going on. It's not around him at all. And so he gets into trouble with that. But even then, he takes Uriah and brings him home and says, just pretend like there's not a battle going on. But, but Uriah, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. He, he, was in, he was in battle mode. You know, when we, uh, when we go overseas, if you've ever been on a mission trip or a, a different country or you're out, you, you go into a different culture and you can feel the evil. Like when we were in Kranzkogor, you could feel the spiritual strongholds that were there. Uh, it, 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 was, it was bad and ugly. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, going overseas somewhere and going, boy, there's something spiritually dark here. Uh, well, we lived overseas. Uh, altogether, it was about 10 years, but seven years in Slovenia. And when we came back to the States, uh, this is my own experience, but I could feel the dark things gripping the United States. Uh, now, for me, as we settled back, this is my own experience, my own, my own perspective, but I think there was three things that were strongholds here in the States. And those three things are comfort, safety, and entertainment. Comfort, safety, and entertainment. Uh, they don't feel like battles, do they? they? They actually like lull you into this sleep, this pretend like everything's fine here. I mean, I know it's crazy over there, but here it seems to be pretty fine when actually we're being lulled into thinking there's no battle for your heart going on. I mean, how many times of this last uh, 18 months have you heard our number one priority is your safety? Is it really? Should our number one priority be safety? Not, not to say that safety is bad or you should go out and be foolish at all, but is our number one priority safety? How many times have you heard, well, I just go home and I just binge watch on Netflix? Or, or, or the makers of social media or YouTube, they've engineered it in such a way that it's just like one click to, a, you know, just a two-minute video. And then what? Watch this. Okay, one more click. And one more click. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, it, it's uh, uh, an hour wasted, a day wasted, a month wasted, Years wasted, and then a whole lifetime wasted, all because you don't, you don't recognize or live as if there's a battle for your heart going on. 
You see, I think what the enemy is trying to do, at least us here in the States, is, is turn something from a battleship into a cruise ship. It's trying to make us all feel uh, comfortable. Are you, are you comfortable? Because I hope so. If you're not comfortable, uh, then you probably go somewhere else. But that, is that our number one priority too, to be comfortable and safe and entertained and, and fed? Or, or is it that we should be really on this battleship Recognizing there is a battle for our hearts. Recognizing there's a battle for the hearts of your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your neighbors. And if we recognize that, how would it change how we pray? How would it change while we wake up in the morning? Is the first thing you check your email and Facebook, or would it be, boy, i got to get some of the Word of God in me. I need to stop and ask God to help me today because there's a battle going on for my heart my spouse's heart, my kid's heart, my grandkid's heart. It's important. But if you don't recognize there's a battle going on, you're going to lose, you're going to lose the battle for your heart. Second sign, you can write this one down. Number two, you fall into that age-old human trap. There's an age-old human trap. David, he looks over, he sees that the woman is beautiful. It says in our English versions, but that actually fails us here. Because in the Hebrew, this is an, another uh, a more exact word, I would say, a different word. It's the Hebrew word tov. Tov. Can you say tov? Tov. Good. Good. The Hebrew word tov means good. <laughs> Hebrew means tov means good. So David looks over. He sees that this woman is good. And what does he do? He takes her. He sees that she's good, and, she, and he takes. Now, that three cluster of words, to see something's good and to take, if you recognize that, and if our translations do a good enough job, uh, you would see that cluster of words over and over and over in the Bible. It just cycles over and over. As people see something, they define what's good and evil for themselves, not what God says, and they appease their own hearts and their conscience and go, I see, that's good, I'm going to define that as good, and so then I'm going to take it. Rather than what the Lord says is good. And in that way, when we define what's good and evil, our hearts get drifted away and they get, they get captured. We see this in the very first story. So Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you remember Eve? She sees that the tree is good, and what she do? Takes it. I'll define what's good and what's evil for myself, rather than what God says. And as, as you do that, as you say, well, this is good for me, or this is what I think is good, this is, uh, I'm going to define good and evil for yourself, you're actually losing the battle for your heart because your heart's going to get ripped out of your, your own conscience and be dragged along to somewhere else. And that leads us to our third sign. The third sign you're losing the battle for your heart is you become a slave to sin. You become a slave to sin. So, so David, he sees that this woman is good and he takes her. He, he sinned. And then the consequences of that, they, they have this baby. And then he has to start manipulating and lying and, and taking all these things and, and putting things in the wrong places. And then he's trying to uh, like overflatter him and he doesn't accept that. So then he ends up putting him in a position where he ends up killing this guy. He sees it's good, he takes, and he ends up all the way down the road killing someone else. You see, when you become a slave to sin, uh, that first thing is, is like a fishing hook. 
And as it digs into your mouth and you try to get away, it's going to dig in more and more and more until finally it's leading you to where you don't maybe not want to even go. But you're a slave to sin. Your sin becomes your master. A lie gives birth to another lie, to another lie, and all of a sudden your heart has been captured by the enemy and you've lost the battle. Stay with me, though, because there is some really good news. Uh, I want to turn the page to chapter 12, and now we're going to see four signs, four signs of how to win the battle, how to win the battle for your heart and your soul. This is the freeing gospel good news part. So there's there's four signs you're winning the the battle for your heart. Uh, Number one, write this down. You have trusted friends. You have trusted friends that gently come alongside you, reveal your blind spots. They don't leave you in your sin or, or leading you on to destruction. They're walking, just like Dan said, they're walking right beside you. I'm going to, let's come on. We can do this together. You have trusted friends. Look, and again, in the, the Bible, in chapter 12, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Nathan, he's a prophet, Uh, The Lord sent Nathan to David and came to him and said to him, Now there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a... A daughter, the Hebrew word for daughter is bath. It's the first part of the word Bathsheba. That's a geeky thing. Okay. It was like a daughter, a bat to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Nathan, a trusted friend, comes to him and reveals gently the story of, uh, of David's own blindness. If Nathan wouldn't have come and wouldn't have said that, you just wonder if, if David would have like, rationalized the whole thing and he would try to just put it beyond him, and that hook would just kept leading him along. But Nathan comes and tells him this story, and the story of injustice. It's not right. You feel it. Like, what is this man doing? This is not... The unjustness of it is it just invokes this thing in David like, I do not like this at all. I'm going to, justice is not served here at all. I want to get after this guy. But Nathan, he comes to him and gently reveals his sin. And I think really for all of us, we need that kind of community. We need those people, not just to to build us up all the time, but those people to come alongside and say, look, I'm seeing this in your life. I don't know if that's true, if I'm observing it right or not. Uh, but it looks like you're kind of heading the wrong way. 
To have those trusted friends who gently bring you to see uh, your own sin, your own addiction, your own failures, not to push you down, but to build you up and to set you free. We all need those trusted friends if we're going to win that battle. Number two, you are content in what and where the Lord has you. You're content in what and where the Lord has you. Look, verse 7 continues on. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. See, it all started with this thing. You had everything you needed and you weren't content. It was like just one more thing. If I could just have one, there's just something missing. So, so, so I'm going to look out and see, oh, maybe that's going to fulfill. And it never does. The Lord says, I gave you everything you needed. Wouldn't you just be content in that? Because when you're not content in where and what the Lord has given you, your heart starts getting led astray. Well, if I just had this. So the remedy of that, I think, is to count your blessings. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. It's going to surprise you what the Lord has done. When you count what you don't have, your heart's going to be led astray. When you count what the Lord has done for you and where you're at, your heart's going to be sealed and protected for what God would have for you. If you're content, you'll begin to win the battle for your heart as well. Number three, to win the battle for your heart, you have to bring your sin to the light. Bring your sin to the light. Look at verse 11. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. You know, there were days and and weeks that David was manipulating, living in secret, trying to, to hide his sin from the sun, from the light. And you wonder how many people... Uh, knew something was going on, but David still thought he was hiding it really well. Uh, he sends a letter to, to Joab. Hey, Joab, can you send Uriah back here? Why, David? We're in the middle of a, a battle here. Why are you taking one of my, my best soldiers away? And then Joab comes back. Uh, he sends a message to Joab to get Uriah, to send Uriah back to David. And what's David's first question? Hey, how's Joab doing? Well, you just talked to the guy. Why, why did you bring me all the way back here to ask about Joab or how the war is going? Couldn't you just ask him, Joab, there's a battle going on. Why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense. 
And then you wonder what Joab's like, what, what has Uriah done that's so bad that he would like, manipulate a whole army in battle to kill the guy? It just doesn't make sense, does it? But all along, David is hiding and, and trying to control the sin that's in the darkness. And, but when he finally, it's revealed to him uh, that this is before the sun and it's going to be out in public, uh, you see David finally go, you're right. I got nothing to hide. And he brings his sin to the light and then loses all the, the, the sin loses all the control because it's not in the shadows anymore. Now, that obviously has to be done with wisdom. Uh, because you don't want to just like, like announce it and post it on Facebook. Here's how I just last sinned. Like, uh, but it is the idea of, of not trying to hide it from people that are around you that want your good. It's bringing it to the light. If you want to win the battle for your heart, you, you have to be living in the light with people. David declares to Nathan, all uh, and everyone of Israel, I have sinned against the Lord. You're right. He repents. And that light actually frees David's heart. Here's the fourth thing, and I would say the most important thing. To see if you're going to win the battle for your heart, it's actually if you grasp the amazing grace that Jesus has already won the war. That your, your battle that you're fighting, it's already been won, it's already been taken care of. David repents and is forgiven. He's set free. Your sins are taken away, David. You're set free. You're forgiven. The shame, the guilt, it's gone. And we celebrate. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what we want? We want life that we're not, we're not living in shame. We're not living in, in darkness. We want to be free. We want to be who we are. We celebrate that. Yes. And then God says, but because you have done this, the child that's born to you is going to die. I don't know how that strikes you. Does it seem fair? The child hasn't done anything. It's a completely innocent child. He has done nothing. And there's some commentaries that will say, well, it's because the child... Uh, was born in sin, so he has sinned, so therefore he's going to die. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, because you have sinned, David, your, your sins are removed, but because of your sin, David, the child is going to die. And, and at least when I read it, I'm like, this is not fair. This is not right. This is not just. It, it doesn't seem this is right. See, David is forgiven. The penalty of his sin, then, this death, is actually placed on the innocent son. And this becomes a picture of all of us, of Jesus, David's greater son. And just like Nathan did to David, I think the author does to anyone who reads the story. He gets to the end of the story, he says, that doesn't feel right. And he says, you're the man. You're the woman. It's not just, it's not right, it's not fair that the innocent son of David, Jesus, sacrificed his own life for us. It's not fair. And I think when we finally grasp that, when we see that picture, then you're like, what amazing grace. What amazing grace. 
And if you grasp that amazing grace, that it's not fair, it's not right, but Jesus laid down his life for you, for me, for every man, for every woman, and said, if you would repent and come to me, I've won the battle, the war for your heart, so that you can be free and forgiven. And it's just, it's simply amazing grace. So I want to end here and ask you, uh, when we leave here, actually even in here, uh, are you ready for the battle? Do you know there is a battle? When you step out that door, there's going to be all kinds of lies and uh, comfort and entertainment and safety that's going to be flooding your head and your world. Are you ready for the battle? And and then who, who are you going to be giving your heart to? As we walk along this week, where are you giving your heart heart to? Who's who's winning the battle for your heart? Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Let me pray uh, one more time as they come back up. Lord, um, Lord, it is simply amazing grace. It's not fair. It's not right that Jesus, um, who was perfect, who never sinned, who didn't do anything wrong, um, that my the penalty of my sin and my shame and my guilt will be placed on him so that I could be forgiven and set free. But Lord, what, what grace that is. So even as we've uh, popcorned a little bit of the characteristics of God, Lord, that we've seen it in this story so beautifully illustrated. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, if there's someone here who is uh, hiding a sin or is caught in that fish hook of allure that's just dragging them down, that they would bring it to the light with somebody, that they would, they would pray and they would see that the penalty for that sin, the death that's associated with it, has already been paid for by you and that they would uh, place their, their guilt, their burdens, their shame on you and be set free, that, that their hearts um, could worship freely you even in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.